is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Take a look back at the year that's ending and take a look ahead at what's in store for 2022. Welcome to the show, Archbishop Laurie. Thank you very much, Chris. Nice to be with you. This has been another tough year dealing with the pandemic, but people are starting to come back to church and it's become a little bit more safe. People are vaccinated, they're boosted, those kinds of things. How are you encouraging people to come back to the Eucharist? First of all, as I see the numbers Uh, going up in many of our churches, it is a source of of joy. I think that gradually, in spite of ongoing challenges, uh, we are coming back to life as a society. So people are beginning to shop more, they're going out more, we're social animals, we want to be together. And that's very true of our faith. Our faith is not simply something that we do privately, Uh, on our sofa on a Sunday morning, except when we absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for many, many months, we absolutely had to. And we had to do it, but now I would encourage those who can uh, to think of returning uh, to church. Our churches have proven to be very safe places. Uh, Our churches continue to uh, take uh, reasonable precautions. Um, and when you return to Mass, you're there with your fellow Catholics and parishioners. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. And even more beautiful, most beautiful of all, is that you actually receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, uh, who comes to us uh, in a deeply personal way, but also lives among us uh, communally. So. I would simply warmly invite anyone who's listening who hasn't been back yet uh, to uh, prayerfully consider doing so. Mm -hmm. Very early on, you got a vaccine as soon as it became available. You've been encouraging people to do that. Are you still encouraging people to get vaccinated? I am indeed uh, encouraging everyone uh, to be vaccinated. I've received all three. I have to say the third one, knocked me for a loop for a day or so, but really it is, as Pope Francis has said, an act of love to do this, an act of consideration um, for one's family and for one's neighbors. Um, And the more of us who are vaccinated, the better is the chance that uh, we will uh, keep this this virus, this coronavirus, under control. Will we ever eliminate it? Doesn't look like we're going to eliminate it. I'm no health expert, but it's something that we certainly need to try our very best to keep under control. We just marked 800,000 deaths from the pandemic. How does that affect you personally? I mean, are, are, do you know people who have 
who have died from this? Have you been part of the, the funeral services or things like that? How is that kind of breaking at your heart? Coronavirus, COVID-19 has inflicted a, a, a terrible toll of human suffering, death, and deprivation, uh, mental health uh, problems. And yes, when you hear a figure like 800,000, uh, it's overwhelming. And I do know people who have died, uh, people, uh, priests I know in different parts of the country, fortunately, none here in, in Baltimore. But I do know priests who have died, good priests, zealous priests. I do know of uh, uh, people up in years who succumbed to it. And a few very young people, at least people I regard as very young at this point, and it is very, very heartrending to see people's lives uh, cut short and disrupted by, by COVID. Um, calls upon us as Catholics uh, to redouble our efforts uh, of outreach, um, of consolation, of uh, helping those who are in need, whether it's for simple necessities in life or whether it's a need for a helping hand, um, perhaps with the mental anguish that uh, COVID has imposed on us. You talked a little bit earlier about getting people back to church, not just to be part of the community, but to be able to receive the Eucharist. In June, you launched a Year of the Eucharist uh, that, that will run through next June. That goal of that was to talk about the four presences of Christ in the Eucharist. What are those presences and how is the Archdiocese celebrating that? Um, so we have been celebrating a, a year of the Eucharist in preparation for the Eucharistic Revival Project that uh, the bishops of the United States uh, are launching. This is sort of our antipasto for that. Uh, and we decided uh, to do this by celebrating four beautiful ways in which the Lord is, is present among us. Um, first, uh, he's present in the Word of God. So the Second Vatican Council, uh, echoing the whole tradition, teaches that when the scriptures are read in the liturgy, it is Christ himself who speaks to us. It truly is the Word of the Lord. Uh, secondly, um, present in the community. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. And uh, if you get four or 500 people together, uh, and, All the better. and we're praying uh, and celebrating the Eucharist, the Lord is present in and through us because the Lord dwells in us uh, through baptism. Uh, a third way uh, is that the Lord is present in the priest, the celebrant, when, when a man is ordained a priest, the Holy Spirit transforms that man and plants within him a new identity, that of Christ the high priest, so that um, he can make Christ and his saving deeds present for the community. That doesn't make a priest better than the rest of the community, but equips him for a very special and beautiful uh, and humbling form of service. And finally, and if I might say maximally, the Lord is uh, truly and substantially present in the bread and wine 
which by the action of the Spirit and the words of consecration are changed, such that they are no longer bread and wine, but the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Uh, when sharing Christ who sacrificed himself and gave himself for us, uh, we welcome Christ intimately into our hearts. And as each of us does that, we knit the bonds of community, friendship, and service that our world needs so desperately. So then how will the Eucharistic Revival Project from the U.S. bishops advance what we've been doing here for the, the last year? It's going to be a multi-year project. How is that going to accomplish more of what we've already started? Well, as we began the year of the Eucharist, we did not believe that one year would take care of a decades-long slide in church attendance and in belief in the reality of, of the Eucharist. So it's something that we're going to have to do for the long haul. What we are doing this year is tilling the soil. But uh, as we go through these um, three years of Eucharistic revival, uh, we'll be doing this with our neighboring dioceses. We'll be doing it in solidarity with the church over in the United States. And we will be planting seeds of faith and hope and love uh, that we honestly and sincerely hope and believe will uh, bud forth with new life in our local church. But there is a, a diocesan phase to the Eucharistic revival. There is a parish phase to it, and it will culminate in a Eucharistic Congress in 2024 in Indianapolis. We hope that there will be some 80,000 people will gather and many, many more uh, virtually, electronically, all the forms we can do that these days uh, so that our whole country uh, in every parish, every diocese, every priest, every member of the lay faithful will have heard about this and, and will celebrate uh, the great gift we have received in the Eucharist. Sometimes we allow ourselves to become um, simply beaten down by the problems we're facing in the church and in the world. Um, we're not denying any one of them. We're simply saying that the only way to address them is to celebrate the gift of the Eucharist, invite people to the gift of the Eucharist, and there to receive the wisdom and strength from on high that we need to unite in addressing the challenges that we face. Another thing that started this year was Pope Francis called upon everybody, all Catholics throughout the world, for a, a, to start preparing for a synod on synodality. Basically, the church listening to everyone around the world There'll be diocesan reports that'll be prepared. What's that process been like here in the Archdiocese as it started? Uh, with God's grace, we're trying to implement the synodal process robustly. Um, that was a decision that was made way last spring when um, there appeared in my inbox, in my email, a mysterious email with the title Synodus, which is the Latin word for Senate, and uh, materials, some initial materials from Cardinal Gretsch in Rome sent to all the bishops of the world about this process. Um, 
I talked it over uh, with uh, my auxiliary bishops and what a blessing they are. Began to talk it over with the Archdiocesan Pastoral Council, with our senior leadership team. And even though we didn't know the details or how it would work, we made the decision that we're going to jump in with both feet. And, and indeed we did. Uh, I um, asked Bishop Bruce Lewandowski if he would oversee the project. He quickly recruited Jenny Kraska of the Maryland Catholic Conference and, and also uh, Sean Kane. They would help do this. And so what we've been able to do is A, to launch it, um, as we did on October the 17th, uh, and to help every parish community engage in the synodal process. We realize they're going to do it in different ways, different methods. Uh, some will have a series of small groups, some have elected to have larger groups. Um, but the idea here is that we listen to one another, that we um, listen sympathetically to one another, that we uh, come to terms with our hopes and fears, that we come together uh, to listen and discern how we can journey together into a future full of hope, as scripture says. Um, the parish phase um, also includes um, those who are alienated from the church, those who have separated themselves from the church. It includes as well local listening sessions with ecumenical leaders. Uh, we're encouraging the synodal process to take place on Catholic college campuses uh, and other venues, even Catholic uh, medical institutions, the four great hospitals we have here in the Archdiocese, Catholic Charities is doing it. Um, when that's concluded, uh, sometime probably in February, We'll do regional meetings, and then we'll have an archdiocesan phase. And um, jokingly, we say, and all of this gets funneled into what Rome has asked for, which is a 10-page report. <laughs> now, um, I believe in miracles, but this, <laughs> we can reflect all this in a 10-page report. We're going to be doing great. But the 10-page report is not the point of this. The hmm. point of this is learning how to be a synodal church, a church that regularly dialogues up and down the chain. We, we have synodal structures in place, we've had them for a long time, but sometimes it's not the structures themselves, it's the quality of our conversation. It's the care we have for one another. It's an invitation from Pope Francis not to treat one another in the church the way people treat one another in secular culture, but to treat one another uh, the way we were enjoined to do by the Lord himself. They will know that we are Christians by the love we have for one another. And that love is the most convincing thing in our mission of evangelization. People see a loving, united, community, people that care for one another, people that respect one another, people who want to become a part of us. I'm mm -hmm. convinced of it. 
There were some bright spots in 2021, weren't there? There sure were. I would like to uh, mention a couple of them. One is uh, our vocation program uh, is doing well, almost 60 seminarians in our program. I'd like to also mention uh, that enrollment is up in our Catholic schools by more than a thousand students. We formed up the Evangelization Institute with these great Emmaus teams. They've already engaged uh, over 40 parishes, helping parishes uh, to be the best version of themselves uh, and engage in the mission of evangelization as laid out in Light Brightly Visible 2.0. And this year we were so blessed to open the Mother Lang School, first new Catholic school in the city of Baltimore in over 60 years. And what a beautiful place it is. Beautiful, beautiful school. It's got over 400 young people in it. It's a challenge to open a new school and have a new student body with students from differing schools and uh, all of that. But we have a great principal, uh, Alicia Jordan. She is doing a terrific job, she and her team, in uh, very quickly making this uh, wonderful school, not only beautiful physically, but beautiful in the culture that she is beginning to form and beautiful in the faith that lives at Mother Lang's school and beautiful in the social and, and uh, academic uh, formation that's being offered there, as well as the care for the parents and families. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Mother Lang herself, how is her canonization process going? I wish it were going much faster. Um, I'm uh, certainly working with uh, Sister Rita Michelle and the Oblates to find ways we can accelerate that. Canonization processes do take a while. Right. Um, some of them take centuries. It's not unusual. It takes a while for this to happen. But uh, I certainly hope, I think we should all uh, pray earnestly for her beatification and eventual canonization. Uh, the more I learn and have learned about Mother Lang, the more I am convinced she is absolutely worthy of beatification and canonization. Mm-hmm. Shift to a, another topic for a moment. Your mom is about to turn 102 in January. Mm-hmm. How's she doing, and have you been able to see her much? Uh, I, yes, thank you for asking. My mom is indeed uh, turning 102. She is, uh, for her age, doing very well. I do talk to her almost every night, and uh, I was able to visit her um, uh, several times during the year just past. Her uh, residence, her nursing home, was closed to visitors for a good deal of the year, but in the summer it loosened up, and I was one of the first people knocking down the door. That you were. Been there a couple times since, and plan to also... uh, continue visiting her as often as I possibly can. That's great. At the end of the the bishops meeting in November, uh, you took on the chairmanship of the U.S. Bishops Committee on Pro-Life Activities. What do you hope to emphasize in that role? Uh, I hope to emphasize the importance of reaching out compassionately to mothers. Uh, Mothers who are contemplating abortions. It's not an easy road that they have. 
it's not that they, many women really want to do this, but oftentimes they find themselves in dire circumstances. Oftentimes there's pressure from family members, sometimes pressure from the medical community, uh, sometimes just societal pressure and uh, their needs are many. So the first thing is to reach out with love and compassion uh, to these mothers. Uh, the bishops of the United States launched a beautiful project. It's gotten a lot of attraction locally here in Baltimore called Walking with Moms in Need. And it really asks the question, how can we accompany these mothers? And certainly we can do it in very practical ways, very practical charity, but also love and respect. Our pro-life pregnancy centers play a beautiful role, welcoming uh, these mothers, putting their mind at ease, respecting them, and then helping them to see through the miracle of ultrasound, the beauty of, of, of their baby in the womb. When that happens, almost always these mothers say, yeah, I, I, I love my baby and I want to keep my baby. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a beautiful thing, but that puts a responsibility on us to continue walking with these moms and providing for them and helping that mom uh, raise her, her child. And so, I think the approach we want to take is that every life has value. The mom's life, the baby's life, and um, person who's chronically ill, person who's uh, up in years. And um, we, as a church, want to just cherish these lives. And we want to convince as many of our fellow citizens as we can to cherish life. And that's how we uh, build uh, what is called in church documents a civilization, a culture of life and love. Mm -hmm. There's this perception out there that people who are pro-life really only care about the baby until it's born. You and I know that's false. We've seen that over the years. But it's programs like Walking with Moms in Need, programs like Catholic Charities, just really speak to that point of this dignity of all people all the way across the board, from yeah. conception till natural death. Yeah. The church is, you, uh, locally, in the archdiocese, is equipped to walk with these moms long-term, not for the short-term, but for the long-term. And um, we can do it through our parishes, we do it through Catholic Charities, our schools, a host of, of, of ways that uh, we can and must uh, do this. Mm -hmm. On a lighter note, uh, your dog Bailey greeted me as I came in today. Uh, are you still able to get out and walk around the neighborhood with him? And, and what does that help you to do? Sure, my uh, my dog is now six years old. I can hardly believe it. Still some puppy, a lot of puppy a lot left of puppy in, him. in him. And uh, I do like to take walks when, when I can. It's, it's a little bit of a time commitment. First of all, it's, it's a good exercise for Bailey and for me, it's about a four and a half mile walk that we do. Um, and, and so I think it's good for both of us. Secondly, it clears the mind to just get out and uh, take a good brisk walk. I think we all find that. And thirdly, I get my rosary in. 
again, all the decades and all the mysteries said and so so some uh, some uh, wonderful praying happens while I'm on the streets of Baltimore I go up to Bolton Hill up and through Micah up in that neighborhood mm -hmm. um, and uh, I I move I'm a Bailey wants to move and I want to move so it's a it's I enjoy doing it if I can't do that I'll try to get a little exercise uh, down in the basement on an elliptical and an aging elliptical machine, but it does the trick. It yeah. gets me huffing and puffing. So you need to come up with a, a leash that includes a rosary built into the handle. I think is what probably the next thing. Well, well, I I it uh, I have a like a rosary on a like a little string mm -hmm. rosary, and it does get all tangled up. But that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> God still hears those prayers. Will you give us a blessing for the new year? I will. I first of all, I. I know that as we head into this new year there's still lots of uncertainties uh, we don't know the course that COVID's going to take and there's just many other these are still unsettled times and so um, my prayer for everyone is that uh, we'll simply open ourselves up more widely this year uh, to the love of the Lord particularly as epitomized in the gift of the Eucharist that that love will spill over in our relationships with one another into the family circle, help us strengthen, rebuild our families, and that we will be a catalyst uh, in our society for a more just and peaceful society. And uh, may God's blessing uh, come upon all of us, all the individuals and families of this great archdiocese from stem to stern. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you so much. Thank you, Archbishop Laurie, for being with us today. We have been talking with Archbishop William Laurie, who is the 16th Archbishop of Baltimore. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Glad to be here. Thank you. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.